And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Howard Griffith. He is a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, where he teaches systematic theology. Previously, he served as pastor of All Saints Reformed Presbyterian Church for 23 years. He's written a new book, Spreading the Feast, and that's what we'd like to talk about today. Dr. Griffith, thanks for joining us. Uh, Delighted. This book of yours is about the Lord's Table, uh, taking communion, essentially. And um, where do we start in a discussion about the Lord's Table? Well, it's a wonderful gift that God has given us. It's another form in which he brings the gospel to us and seals it to us. So it's a tremendous privilege to take part in it. It's something that the Church needs uh, in addition to the Word, and the Holy Spirit uses it to build us up. The um, Church has struggled, certainly, over the centuries (laughs) in trying to understand what seems to be rather simple, but I guess it's not so simple. There seems to be variation of understanding of what happens at the table. We have the um, the Roman Catholic Church and um, the Lutheran, uh, the Reformed, uh, the, the Baptist conception of things. Can you uh, talk to us about what the Scriptures teach as to what God is doing during the Supper? Yeah, that's a great question. I appreciate it. Well, the Reformation broke with Rome over the idea that the Lord's Supper is a Mass or a sacrifice. Luther and Calvin, Zwingli, all recognized and forcefully held that the death of Christ and the suffering of Christ are definitive. They actually accomplished our salvation, and now he's in glory. And so there's no sacrifice that takes place. It's not an altar. It's a table. Then they had their differences over that, what is actually happening at the table. And I would follow Calvin and the Reformed tradition, and it's holding that the Holy Spirit brings us into fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ as we hear the gospel. The gospel is union with the resurrected Christ by faith alone. The Lord's Supper is a sign and a seal of all those benefits that we have when we're united to Jesus Christ by faith. And the Apostle Paul teaches this way, Jesus taught this way in the, his institution of the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper, uh, when he used many texts and allusions to events in the Old Covenant that now are fulfilled in his death and resurrection. So when we eat and drink at the table, we're sharing in the benefits of what it means to be united to Christ, justification, sanctification, adoption, the unity of the Church, all the riches that come from being one with the Lord Himself. And that happens by this dynamic activity of the Holy Spirit, who is uniting us, and building us up in faith as we're united to Christ, who remains in glory. Do you find that uh, Christians have kind of a guttural instinct feel for, hey, I, I just need the Lord's table, I just need yeah. to have, have this? Have you found that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Unfortunately, the controversy, which remains to, till, till right this second, tends to take our eyes off of the beauty 
and the nourishment that the Father wants to give us at the table with our Lord Jesus. I find that as we worship the Lord, I, I attend a church in Rock Tavern, New York. The service, it doesn't quite seem complete unless we have the Lord's table. It's like that's that that comes alongside and, and Christ is there. He he administers grace to our hearts. It's just wonderful. Outstanding. So um, you've written this book. It's called Spreading the Feast. What's implied by that title? Well, the, the title is that uh, implies that we have a wonderful, rich fare that our Lord has provided for us, and that the Lord's table is not a replacement for the Word or for the preaching of the Word. It seals it. It signifies it. It strengthens us in faith in the Word. But um, the fact that it focuses on Jesus' suffering and that now as resurrected, he, he meets with us there indicates that there's a wonderful richness to it. So everything, everything the Lord Jesus is for us now, and I'm not exaggerating when I say everything, is sealed to our hearts and our faith as we commune with him at the table. Mm. This uh, idea of signing and sealing um, has been there from the beginning. Can you help us appreciate those words a little bit more from Old Testament to New? Sure. Well, all through uh, redemptive history, Old Testament to New, the Lord's covenant, which he brings to his people in promises and commitments that he makes you know, to Abraham and then uh, further to Moses and then David, etc., his covenant promises and his covenant word to those he adds signs. So visible representations, uh, the rainbow in the sky would be one, the covenant with Noah, uh, different miracles that he does. They're, they are graphic ways of communicating, not just to the ear, but also to the eyes, to the other senses, uh, that he's the Lord and that he will fulfill these promises. When we have the, the promises of salvation in the old and union with the covenant Lord in the old covenant, and then the fulfillment of those promises in the incarnation, in the coming of the Lord, in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, and now the ascended Lord, all those promises are fulfilled and applied to us by the Spirit as we hear, but then also uh, as I said, signified, and of course the bread signifies the body of Jesus, the wine signifies the blood of Jesus shed for us. Sealing is uh, a strengthening and an upbuilding of faith that's already there. So that, that's what we mean when we use the term seal. Okay. Uh, we find it in Genesis uh, when the Lord says about uh, circumcision that it's a sign and seal of the righteousness Abraham had by faith. Mm. Well, it's beautiful. Have you, um, I know you have, As a, you've served as a pastor in the past, now you're a, a seminary professor. Yeah. It must be a tremendous blessing, I'm just guessing, as a minister of the gospel, to oversee the administration of the sacrament of the Lord's table. It's absolutely great, and it's, it's one of the, the biggest privileges that we have when we planted a new church uh, in Richmond in 1984. 
we said, well, let, let's see how it goes. Let's let's try to have the Lord's Supper every week. We'll do it for a while. We'll see if, if it seems to be working and the Lord seems to be blessing it. And we began, and we kind of never looked back, really, because it was such a... Uh, the Lord just met us there and built us up. And that was the motive for writing this book. I wanted to, out of my own need, make sure that as we presented the table week by week, it didn't become just repetitious and, you know, even boring. Uh, it shouldn't be because it's a means of grace. But um, anyway, so I, w- I wanted to pay attention to that. And what I found as I continued to study and as I continue to learn, especially about the doctrine of union with Christ, is that there's an, an, an amazing richness. That's why I call it a feast. It is. It's a real feast because it does seal to us everything we have in the Lord himself. Is there an aspect to this um, as, as the suppers serve that we're, we're in essence renewing our, our covenant with our Lord? He's renewing yes. it with us? Yes, very much so. Mm. Very much so. That's true weekly in the preaching of the Word. It's also true uh, in the administration of the sacraments. Every time the Lord encounters us, He's calling on us for faith. And He's enabling us to exercise that faith. That's, of course, how He builds us up. So yes, definitely. He's faithful to His covenant. He's encouraging us and strengthening us to remain faithful ourselves. What about the uh, perspective of the person that's partaking? Um, we are told to examine ourselves, but how do we avoid the pitfall of being overly introspective and maybe raising this up beyond what even the Lord wants it raised up to? You know what I'm saying there? I do, I do. I, I, when I was a young Christian, uh, I was um, in churches that sometimes would say, well, you know, if you have sin outstanding in your life, you shouldn't come to the Lord's table. And that was the mindset that I had, But I, because I, I was taught that. But as I studied more and learned more about what Scripture has to say, you know, the Apostle doesn't say, let a man examine himself, and therefore let him not eat. He mm. says, let him examine himself, and so let him eat. Mm. Let him eat in, in light of that. We're admitted to the table by the elders of the Church, and the table is there to build us up and strengthen us. I keep using that word over and over again, but it it really is communion with the Savior. Now, if I come to that table knowing that I have relational problems with someone or an offense against the Lord that I need to repent of, it's absolutely necessary for me to repent before the Lord and to resolve in my heart to do what's ever necessary to be reconciled or uh, to make reparation or whatever it is I need to do to show the evidence of repentance. But in that light, then the Lord's table is a strength. That bread and that cup strengthen me by the grace of God to do, to repent and to go forward with the fruits of repentance. I think if we don't have that mindset, then we can see the Lord's Supper as a kind of reward for a level of spiritual maturity, and it absolutely is not that. Well, that's a good point, yeah. I love the idea of examining ourselves with regard to uh, relational problems. And, you know, if we have something against, uh, against a brother or sister, 
Uh, isn't it just a simple matter? It may be hard to do, but just simply asking forgiveness and moving on. It and, and we we really need that supper. Yes, very much so. And and Christ has suffered for all our sins. They've all been paid for. And even the sins that people have committed against us, if they're believers, they've been paid for. And we have to recognize that and treat our brothers and, and sisters in the faith in that light. We have to. Mm. Yeah. Now, you've written this book, uh, Spreading the Feast. It's available now, is that correct? Uh, it's 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 on Amazon now for uh, pre-order. Okay, all right. <laughs> and it'll be released on the 11th of December. Oh, great. Yes, so... Um, Listeners, if you um, if you really want to do a deep dive and a wonderful blessing reading about the Lord's Table, that, that would be a great book to get. I think you also intend to follow this up with some meditations of Scripture, uh, kind of like a second part to the book. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Well, actually, the second part is what I did first, and then I realized I needed the, <laughs> the foundations before it. But uh, the second part is there are 28 uh, meditations uh, in three chapters, for use, ministers can use them to introduce the supper. Everybody can read them just to prepare for worship or to prepare for the supper. And they go from uh, Old Testament texts, things that Jesus alludes to or uh, quotes in, in the words of institution at the Last Supper, the Passover sacrifice in, in Exodus 12, the ratification of the covenant at Sinai in Exodus 24, uh, the great feast that we're looking forward to, Isaiah 25, and then especially the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, the number there. And then New Testament texts uh, that speak about the atonement, the, the actual suffering and death of Christ and what that's accomplished. And then there's a lengthy section called the riches of union with Christ, and those have to do with all the benefits of being a Christian. A couple more questions. Um, we have relative peace right now in America, and it's it's nice to be able to go to church and, and not worry about being attacked or bombed or whatever. Uh, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world uh, do not have that luxury. They are in war zones, tremendous persecution. How do they view, I just wonder, maybe you've heard, I don't know, how do they view the supper? Is it something that they say, oh, this is optional because I'm worried about the war? Or is it something that helps them tremendously to deal with what they're going through? I, I can't help but think it's the latter. But, you know, honestly, I, I don't know one thing about it, how that's viewed and how that's done. I sure hope they view it in the latter way, that it's, yeah. it's necessary sustenance in the wilderness of this life. Well put. What about a, a Christian family? Um, how would you... <laughs> this could be a little bit sensitive. It's not intended to be, but sure. how about a, a young family who has younger children, and they just see the beauty of, of the Lord's Supper, and yet they want to be as faithful as possible to uh, the Scripture that tells us to examine ourselves, and in light of having f- peace in the body of Christ and being able to recognize that. Hmm. Um, Some folks want to have very, very young children partake. Others say no. What would be your personal counsel to a couple? 
Well, sure. That's a great question, and I appreciate the importance of it. It's a good sign if a child wants to, to partake at the Lord's table. That's a, that's a really good sign. I wouldn't favor admitting all baptized children to the Lord's table. That's sometimes that's called pedo communion, uh, without a profession of faith. Uh, I don't think that's sound because Paul requires, you know, the self-examination. But then he also says we partake until the Lord returns. So a person needs to be able to say, "Yes, I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back." and I do understand that he died for my sins. Hmm. Now, ha- having said that, a very young child can understand that. I agree, yeah, right. And, and, and if that's true for a, a, a family, for a young, young person, and the parents believe it's true, then the elders ought to be in the home with that young person, preparing them and then receiving them mm-hmm. to the Lord's table. I, I'm, I'm all for that. So I don't think there should be any sort of arbitrary age limit. I think we should expect little people to have little people's faith, bigger people <laughs> to have bigger people's faith. You know? Yeah, that seems to go along with the teaching of Jesus, where he says, suffer the little ones to come unto me and forbid them not, yes. for such is the kingdom of God. Um, very good. Today we're talking about the Lord's Table, communion. The book is Spreading the Feast, and on the phone line with us today is Dr. Howard Griffith. Um, you teach at seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary. Where's that located, Dr. Griffith? We're in uh, McLean, Virginia, right near Tyson's Corner. So we're right near the Washington Beltway. Mm-hmm. And you live in Washington, D.C.? Yes, I li- well, I live in Northern Virginia, Centerville, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Suppose a young person is uh, considering the call to the ministry and struggling with it and probably moving in that direction. Would RTS be someplace that they would <laughs> consider going? Oh, I hope so. Yes, <laughs> uh, definitely. We, it is our great privilege to work with folk and help them understand something about a call. Lots of people come to seminary just to kind of get their feet wet a little bit. They love the Word. They want to grow deeper, wondering what the Lord has for them in the future. And as they begin to study and, and have an experience of it, their call becomes more clear. Hmm. The other thing that's wonderful is that you're encountering other students in the same situation that you are, or a similar one. And um, there's lots of insight to be gained from that kind of community, as well as from the, from the profs. What about a student that really wants to go, and um, he just is not sure he can afford it? Um, any any wisdom there on, on how to afford this sort of thing? Well, one of the things that God has very kindly given RTS, uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, is outstanding donors who want people to get through school. And so we have, we, we have a significant amount of scholarship for folk, and, you know, we'll tell them, do not let money be a problem. So... We're just thankful to God to be in that position. Oh, it's wonderful. I don't know how many people I've learned that uh, have been to RTS. Don't you have other locations uh, besides the uh, McLean? Oh, yes. Uh huh. Yeah, we have uh, Jackson, Mississippi, Orlando, Charlotte, Atlanta, and we've just opened a campus in New York City as well. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. 
it's it's in coordination with Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Oh, that's fantastic. Excellent. Well, we're almost to the end here, Dr. Griffith. Suppose now uh, this program is being heard on Saturday. Tomorrow, of course, being the Lord's Day. Someone wants to uh, prepare themselves, if you will, for worship and for partaking of the Lord's Supper. What kind of a mindset should they have and any advice for them? Sure. Uh, pick up 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 11. Um, read through Paul's instruction to the church there. Uh, remember what it means that Jesus Christ gave his body and blood as a sacrifice for your sins, that God has now raised him from the dead. And thank your Heavenly Father that that means eternal salvation for you. And then look forward to the fellowship that the Lord will give you at his table with his people on the Sabbath day. What a, it's, it's exciting just to say it. <laughs> it is. Um, you had mentioned one of the Reformers also earlier, John Calvin. I vaguely recall that he had taught that in the Supper, Christ lifts us up to the heavenlies, yeah. where we partake of his body and blood in a spiritual way. Is is that basically what you believe? Absolutely, yes. And, and it's we have real fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And it's not just audible through what we can hear, but it's also we, we, we taste and see that the Lord is good. We do so at that table, and that's the the Holy Spirit's wonderful work of bringing us near to our exalted Lord. Mm. And uh, one last thing, uh, help us (laughs) understand—this could be a whole semester, but in the next two (laughs) minutes, uh, help us understand, you mentioned a couple of times, union with Christ. What sort of thoughts go through your mind as you think about that wonderful topic? Well, there's been more and more written on this, and it's very exciting The Apostle Paul says that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. We were represented by Christ in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, and that the Spirit brings us into living union with him uh, when we hear the gospel and giving us faith. So the Spirit unites us to Christ, and when we're united to him, everything that he has and has done for us becomes ours. His righteousness is counted as ours. His mighty life of holiness begins to live. He begins to live in us and through us, through the power of the Spirit. Um, His sonship and his relationship with the Father carries over into our lives, and we cry out, Abba, Father. So Calvin says these wonderful things. He says we, we must never think of ourselves as apart from Jesus Christ but always, by faith, recognize that we're one with him. That's beautiful. Very helpful. Today we've been talking with Dr. Howard Griffith, professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, McLean, Virginia. If you're looking for a good place to attend to further your theological studies, perhaps you're a future pastor, uh, please consider RTS. As Dr. Griffith shared with us, uh, they're located in McLean, Virginia, but also Jackson and Orlando, Charlotte, Atlanta, and now New York City. So a lot of opportunities there, and uh, perhaps you could send an email to uh, us here at the station. If you have a question, we could forward it to uh, Dr. Griffith, 
And our email address is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. Dr. Griffith, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Every blessing to you. Thank you. This broadcast is up on our website as a podcast. Check it out. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. Though all men be offended, yet shall I never be. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. I'll go with thee to prison, if thou askest it of me. Though I should die with thee, yet will not I deny thee. Come to the table.